Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbar. This is The Daily. Today. As Hurricane Maria tears apart the Caribbean, island leaders, still reeling from Hurricane Irma, are going before the UN to say that these storms are not just devastating, they're a humanitarian crisis, and that humans are to blame for the storms getting worse. It's Friday, September 22nd. Senior meteorologist Janice Dean is live in the Fox Extreme Weather Center. Boy, the, the mm. Caribbean has just been getting hammered. And the fact that we're dealing with another Category 5 in just a matter of weeks. We haven't seen two Category 5s in a row since 2007. And this one is on a beeline to perhaps devastate Puerto Rico and, again, parts of the U.S. and British Virgin Islands, which were devastated by Irma. So there's, there's no good news out of this. And the National Hurricane Center has just issued their latest bulletin. It is still a Category 5. Still 160 mile per hour sustained winds at as it barrels towards Puerto Rico. I am so concerned uh, about this area. Perhaps the worst hurricane they've ever experienced is potentially on their doorstep. As the third storm in weeks was making landfall in the Caribbean, hundreds of miles away in New York, United Nations leaders convened a special session to talk about one storm in particular. I call to order the high-level meeting on Hurricane Irma. And to rethink humanitarian aid in the face of climate change. And really all week, the focus of many, many delegates here at the United Nations General Assembly has been hurricanes, one hurricane after another, and especially what islands are going through. My colleague Lisa Friedman attended that meeting. Before proceeding further, may I request speakers from affected countries? Prime Minister Gaston Brown, who is the Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda, couldn't even be there to talk about what his island faced from Hurricane Irma because Hurricane Maria was on its way and he needed to work with the country to prepare evacuations again. Hmm. I now give the floor to the Right Honorable Governor-General of Antigua and Barbuda, Sir Rodney Avery Lawrence Williams, KGN. GCMG, please. So in his place, Governor General Rodney Williams spoke, and he he gave what was really a sobering assessment of what his country is facing. When Irma thundered through Barbuda at Category 5 plus with gusts of some 200 to 220 miles per hour, the most powerful hurricane ever recorded in the Atlantic, immediately Barbuda was rendered uninhabitable. Its ferocity 
forever changed the landscape of Barbuda. And as the sun rose the next day, the destruction was horrific. It was for 12 hours that we were unable to gain contact with Barbuda. We feared the worst, but hoped for the best. So I want to back up a little bit, Lisa, to understand what these small island nations are facing right now. So can you tell me a little bit about Antigua and Barbuda? Sure. So Antigua and Barbuda are two separate islands. Together they form one country, an independent commonwealth. Antigua is where most of the government buildings and and business is done. Barbuda is much smaller. Uh, It has uh, somewhere between 1,400 and 1,800 people. Together, the the islands, uh, you know, have a population of about 100,000. And tourism is their number one source of income. Sparkling like twin emeralds, Antigua and Barbuda are tropical gems in a turquoise sea. It's incredibly beautiful. I mean, the coastline is just phenomenal. Diane Black Lane is the director of the Department of the Environment of Antigua and Barbuda. No, you can call me Diane. So, Diane, are you from Antigua? Yes, I was born and raised in Antigua. What was it like growing up there on that island? Well, it's a very simple place. It's really beautiful. It has a lot of beaches, a lot of coral reefs. Every weekend, we would go to the beach. And we stayed all day. In those days, you would be able to take very little to the beach because whatever you need for lunch, you can catch in the sea. The boys from the village would just go out in a fishing boat, haul in the fish and just put it on the beach and you would just go and take a fish and cook it. And also you could collect things like salt. You used to collect near the beaches. You can actually get salt to cook. So with very little you had to, to take with you. It sounds like an idyllic childhood on this island. Well, it was beautiful at the time and something that we we cherished, but it has changed a lot since then. Many local people cannot swim because a lot of the folklore about the sea wasn't about sharks and others. It was about hurricanes. The sea could just come in and take your house and take you and drowning and those kind of things. So those are things I used to hear as a kid. And so I understood a hurricane, like a monster coming out of the sea or something like that. And, and were these storms more rare back then? Was it an unusual event? Yeah, they were unusual, really unusual. My grandfather, in his entire life, my grandfather would have seen three hurricanes. He died at age 65. In my lifetime, I'm a lot younger than him, and I've seen about 15. Wow. You've seen 15, one five. 15. That's a pretty significant increase. More frequent and much more intense, yeah. Already a deadly and devastating path across the Caribbean. Just listen to the winds tonight. When Hurricane Irma approached the Caribbean, there was kind of a mix, I'd say, of fear and resignation. And then there was this realization that they have never seen anything like Hurricane Irma. Mm. The force, the winds, the gales. has left a trail of death and destruction across the Caribbean. The islands in its path were pummeled. Yeah, millions are now homeless, many without power and without any kind of communication. It was an unusual storm. It's like It was like a tornado storm rather than just mm. a hurricane that we are accustomed to. So it was a bit different. But that one, I, was, I can tell you, I was actually afraid. I've never experienced that before. Wow. 
So it sounds like it was pretty much a complete devastation of the island. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Now they're asking, you know, how how do you rebuild? How do you rebuild from nothing? What is there to go back to? How do you begin? Every island is used to storms, but what they see and what they are saying they see is a frequency, an intensity, a ferocity that is new. Hmm. And what do these islanders think that the cause of this greater frequency, greater ferocity is? Well, I'm a scientist, so I know for a fact that it's being caused by um, putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Climate change, period. But there's no question. No question in their minds. But from the science side of this all, what can we say about this link between hurricanes and climate change? That's a lot harder. My name is Andrew Dessler. I'm a professor of atmospheric sciences at Texas A&M. So, Andy, what evidence exists that climate change plays a role in these hurricanes that we have been experiencing? There are several ways that humans are affecting the impacts of the storm. So the most direct way is that uh, by loading the atmosphere with carbon dioxide, we've warmed the climate system, and that's led to sea level rise. And so every time a storm comes ashore, it brings with it storm surge. And with a higher sea level, we know Mm. that we're making storm surge worse. So that's a very clear, 100% confident in that. So when you consider a storm like Irma, humans have warmed the climate system. We've increased the amount of water vapor in the atmosphere. And so it seems almost certain that we made the storm more intense than it would have been. Now, I think it's important to point out that did climate change cause the storm is not a very smart question. Just like, you know, steroids never hit a home run. Hmm. But what steroids let you do is they let the batter hit more home runs. They let the batter hit further home runs. And so a good hmm. analogy is that by loading the atmosphere with carbon, it's like a baseball player taking steroids. You know, the storms are a little stronger. They're dumping a little bit more rain. The st- sea's higher, so it makes storm surge worse. So we're, we're taking events that would have probably been pretty bad to begin with, and we're making them worse. So just to make sure I understand this, warming temperatures which have been exacerbated by human-made emissions, heat up the water and heat up the air and make sure that that air contains more water. And when a storm comes, that storm therefore contains more moisture, and you're saying that creates a more violent and destructive hurricane. Yeah, I think you got it. I'll I'll send you your meteorology certificate in the mail. (laughs) I'm just repeating back what you said, but there have been this extraordinary string of storms passing through the Caribbean in the matter of just a few weeks, one after the other after the other. Is that a a pattern or is that a coincidence? The fact that we got a lot of hurricanes is probably bad luck. Future research may prove me wrong, but I think that there's no strong argument to be made just based on physics that we're going to get more hurricanes um, I think that what's the, the most of the physical arguments tell us that you'll get a, probably about the same number of hurricanes, but the hurricanes will be stronger. Rebuilding Barbuda is not a task we can undertake alone. What is the governor of Antigua and Barbuda asking 
his fellow countries at the UN for. You know, explicitly they're asking for aid. Preliminary estimates put the cost at some 300 million. That figure represents more than 20% of all GDP. He laid out the extraordinary damage that Barbuda in particular faced. Something like 98% of all infrastructure destroyed, homes, cars, schools, hospitals. And then on top of that, the entire population of Barbuda had to be evacuated, some 1,400 people, onto the island of Antigua. The entire society has been plucked out of their homeland, from their property, from everything that defines them as a people. Behind the scenes, what they're asking for is a way to deal with climate change. And that has been so controversial within the UN climate negotiations because fundamentally what they're saying is you industrialized nations that have been emitting carbon dioxide for decades, that is coming home to roost in our countries right now and we need help. Today, I ask how your governments will respond to this humanitarian crisis. We ask the international community to help us, not because we want to outstretch a begging bowl, but because forces far beyond our control have pushed us to this dire situation. They want the international community to think a little differently about how it has traditionally provided aid, some sort of funding mechanism that will specifically assist them in what they describe as planning for or dealing with the consequences of climate change that they can't prepare for, that they can't adapt to. They need help when they need to relocate, for example, an entire population of people, or when they need to rebuild an entire nation. I spoke with Walter Alfonso Webson. He is the ambassador to the United Nations from Antigua and Barbuda. And he told me that his country is seeing the first climate migrants. He said, we talk about displaced persons from war. My country is seeing the first displaced persons from climate change. Mr. President, my government invites governments, international financial institutions, and developmental agencies to help us in this virtuous and vital cause. Thank you very much. Thank you. These talks are happening on the heels of a storm that has just devastated these island nations. Does that give this a whole new sense of urgency? Absolutely. These hurricanes are making the issue visceral and immediate for islands. Um, And, you know, a lot of people are hoping that the U.S. in particular will recognize that other countries don't have the means to, to cope the way wealthy countries do. You know, they argue that islands are some of the least responsible for causing climate change, but they are seeing some of the worst impacts. One diplomat this week said to me, you know, if if Harvey and Irma don't make the case for climate change, I don't know what will. He said, you know, I think islands will probably say if this doesn't make the case for loss and damage, I don't know what will. The entire country has been decimated. I have never seen anything like this before. However, I want to say to you that you have to remain hopeful. You have to remain resilient. You have to remain strong. And what I can assure you is that the government will stand full square with each Barbudan. 
Can I ask you one more question? Do people on these islands hold countries like the U.S. responsible for creating the kind of climate change that makes these hurricanes worse and leads to greater destruction when they arrive on the islands? The, the culture is such that we don't think that it's worth our while to hold a grudge against the U.S. or anybody else. We're too small to make that difference anyway. I mean, what can we do? Basically, our country was hit by what, what would be a nuclear bomb that was created by developed countries. And we can't do anything. We can go to the UN and say what we have to say. So what do we do as a country? We pray. And we are, we are God-fearing people. We, we believe in forgiveness and we believe in praying. And we believe that God will intercede on our behalf. And um, I'm telling you, prayer, prayer is powerful. So do you think that any progress was made at the UN on this issue? I mean, it sounds like you don't think that a small country can make big countries change their behavior. But from what you can tell, has this message been heard at the UN? And do you think things could change? You know, one of the parts of the history of Antigua and Barbuda that you didn't talk about is that we were once slaves in this country. And slavery was not abolished because we shouted and we tried to rebel and we spoke to our slave masters anyway. Slavery was abolished because the economics of slavery was just too expensive. Hmm. They just made it not worth it. It wasn't abolished because they were being nice and they were being kind. It was because the economics is so bad. Climate change is not going to have a response from the larger countries who are the ones who control capital. So they have to take the lead until the cost and the impact of climate change is going to become too expensive. Every time the United States make a change in their climate policy, it has always been after a major weather event. So what you're saying is that you may have to wait for a moment when the damage of climate change is inflicted upon the U.S. in the same way that it has been inflicted on the island where you live. On the island where we live and the rest of the world. Is there a scenario, and I'm sure this is hard to be asked, but is there a scenario that ever could play out in your mind where you fear that that your nation could be essentially uninhabitable and people will decide that it's just not worth living there. Storm after storm, geographically where you are, and the reality that these storms are worse and maybe getting even more devastating. It's not the hurricanes that's going to drive us out of our island. It is sea level rise. And it is sea level rise that's going to destroy Barbuda. It's sea level rise that will destroy the coastline in Antigua. And that is something that has been predicted to happen in the next 30 to 50 years, but we're already seeing the impact right now. So it is sea level rise that is going to take out half of the, the, the state of Florida. It's sea level rise that's going to take out the coastline of most of the islands in the region. Why not just leave the island, and by you, I mean just about everybody there, if, if you can start to see the writing on the wall? And go where? To say that we want to pick up and leave our beautiful islands and our homes is not what we want. So do you plan to stay? I plan to stay, yeah. Where are you going to go?
Diane, I, I really want to thank you and I wish you the best and everybody in Antigua and Barbuda and thank you very much for your time. All right, thank you very much. I appreciate it. On Thursday night, after Hurricane Maria struck Puerto Rico and knocked out power to the entire island, the Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda, Gaston Alfonso Brown, arrived at the UN General Assembly to make his own plea on behalf of his country for help after Hurricane Irma. For the first time in 300 years, Brown said, there is no permanent resident of Barbuda. Everything that meant anything to the inhabitants had to be left behind, he added. Their homes, their possessions, their history. We'll be right back. It's go time, as in now's the time to go open and fund a Fidelity IRA by contributing up to the $6,000 maximum limit before the extended 2020 federal income tax deadline of May 17th. You could reduce your taxable income, so don't wait. Visit fidelity.com slash the daily to make a tax smart move today. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity does not provide tax advice. Consult a tax professional regarding your specific situation. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. Here's what else you need to know today. A day after threatening to totally destroy North Korea during a speech at the United Nations, President Trump issued new sanctions that would force foreign countries, companies, and individuals to choose between doing business with North Korea and the United States. In response, North Korea's dictator, Kim Jong-un, issued a statement calling President Trump a, quote, mentally deranged U.S. dotard describing his remarks at the UN as unprecedented rude nonsense and vowing to tame Trump with fire. And I care deeply about the democratic process and protecting its integrity. I don't want anyone to use our tools to undermine democracy. That's not what we stand for. Facebook is turning over more than 3,000 ads linked to Russia to congressional committees investigating the Kremlin's interference in last year's election. The company is under growing pressure to reveal Russian propaganda on its site, including nearly 500 accounts that promoted inflammatory messages during the campaign. Now, I wish I could tell you that we're going to be able to stop all interference, but that just wouldn't be realistic. In an online video, Facebook's founder, Mark Zuckerberg, said he would crack down on the Russian propaganda by changing how the company treats political ads, working more closely with the U.S. government, and investing more heavily in security systems. There will always be bad actors in the world, and we can't prevent all governments from all interference. But we can make it harder. We can make it much harder. And that's what we're going to focus on doing. The Daily is produced by Theo Balcom, Lindsay Garrison, Rachel Quester, Annie Brown, Andy Mills, Christopher Worth, and Ike Sriz Kandaraja. Lisa Tobin is our executive producer. Samantha Hennig is our editorial director. Brad Fisher is our technical manager. Our theme music is by Jim Bunberg and Ben Landsberg of Wonderly. Special thanks to Marina Franco, Peter Sale, Sam Dolnick, 
and Michaela Bouchard. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbar. See you Monday. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com daily. netsuite.com daily.